You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem. I'm your host, Hanok Teller. We left off our last episode describing the comment by Prime Minister David Lloyd George in 1937 that had only the Jews taken advantage of the Balfour Declaration in 1917, things would have been so much different for the Jewish people. How true he was. With the hindsight of history, Lord George was correct that the world jury missed a colossal opportunity. So now, Teller from Jerusalem is going to take a look at the consequences opportunities lost or missed on a personal and on a national level. We begin by analyzing the very odd dialogue in the biblical book, Song of Songs. We find in the fifth chapter, there is a very stirring dialogue between two lovers, each one showering the other with love, but ay, 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 they can't seem to get together. A sound. My beloved knocks. Open your heart to me, my sister. My love, my dove, my perfection, admit me. And so he's knocking and knocking and knocking on the door. And every time his lover has an excuse. I just took a bath. I'm up in bed. Put on a gown. If I get out of bed, I'll have to soil my clothes, my feet. I, I, I get one excuse and he's knocking. He's trying to put his hand through the lock. Myrrh is dripping through his fingers. Come on, open up, open up. And despite the persistent knocking, she finds excuse after excuse why not to open the door. And when she finally, 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 ay, 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 when she finally gets down from her bed to open the door, her lover has left and it was a missed opportunity. The failure to answer the door when opportunity is knocking is always man's downfall. When I was a kid, there was a TV show on my neighbor's TV called Mr. Fortune is Calling or something like that. And the failure to answer the call meant literally you you lost a fortune. And this caused people very foolishly to stay glued to their telephones way before the days of cell phones. But the message is profound. When Mr. Fortune is calling, and he's always calling, if you don't answer the phone, you lose a very important opportunity. In 1955, Israel found itself in very grave danger. Egypt was saber-rattling, and Israel was reaching out to its allies and getting no support. Eisenhower decided that they wanted to keep Egyptian President Nasser in the orbit of the United States' influence, which was a very blind hope, but that was his idea, and Israel was going to have to go it alone, facing Egypt and its other Arab allies and threats. The tension that had started in 1955 only grew in 1956, and the thing in the back, actually in the front, of everyone's mind was the Holocaust. The fear of yet another Holocaust occurring terrorized world Jewry. In April 1956, on Yom HaTzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day, when everyone was fraught with tension, anxiety, and fear, Rabbi Yosef Dov Salavechik walked into the auditorium of Yeshiva University and he addressed the tension on everyone's mind. Now we're going to hear the voice of Rabbi Salavechik's student and the chronicler of Rabbi Salavechik's legacy, the eminent scholar and esteemed educator, Rabbi J.J. Shachter. This has been selected from a Tikva podcast 
in an interview with Jonathan Silver. And so there's no doubt that Rabbi Soloveitchik is walking into this talk with the Holocaust hanging on his head, a potential, God forbid, repeat. Many Jews are in danger. And we, this time, American Jewry, cannot make the same mistake we made last time. And he's tasked, or tasks himself with the responsibility, to galvanize the American Jewish community to be proactively supportive of Israel and not to repeat the uh, passivity uh, and the uh, distance that they showed during the time of the Holocaust. Alluding to two lovers that do not get together, that we mentioned from the fifth chapter of Song of Songs, said Rabbi Soloveitchik, right now God is knocking. Now we have Jewish pride. Now we have a bulwark against assimilation. We have a Jewish state. We have sovereignty. We have something that we can identify with, something we could rally around, something that young people feel excited about. If God is knocking at your door, the appropriate thing is to open the door. And if you know that it's God knocking, don't make the same mistake that the woman made in the chapter in the Song of Songs. This is also akin to the idea heard from Rebetzin Heller Gottlieb, which she calls a celestial ring. If you have an urge, a desire to do something good, go visit someone who's sick, help your mother. You have a good urge to do something, but you feel that calling, but you don't respond. That's what she called a celestial phone call. And if you don't answer the phone, they give up and they stop ringing. So you have to take advantage of the call. Another well-known example from the Bible that we've already mentioned in our previous episode is where God says to Adam, why did you eat from the tree? And he blames it on his wife, Chava Eve. And then she deflects onto the serpent. And no one is owning up to the sin. And if I may, it is something I think about in sports in my quest to always see a metaphor or an analogy that is growth motivating. No matter what sport you play, the failure to take advantage of an opportunity will always mean a score of sorts for the opposing team or suffering a loss of sorts for yourself. And I'm going to give an example. And for the very few of you not familiar, here is a classic. I'm referring to the 1986 World Series. And by the way, rather presumptuously, we assume, that is, we Americans assume, that if something is number one in America, it's also number one in the world. The top American boxer is the world heavyweight champion. Our best baseball team wins the World Series. So in 1986, it brings a very hopeful Boston Red Sox to New York to play the New York Mets. And it's been 1918 since the Red Sox have won a series. It's now the bottom of the 10th inning. It's extra innings, and the Red Sox are just one out away from their first World Series championship in 68 years. So much so that the Mets scoreboard administrators accidentally posted the message they had prepared after the second out. Quote, congratulations, Red Sox. The Boston pitcher faced Met hitter Mookie Wilson, and the count is 3-2. to two. And here's Vin Scully's rendition of that historic moment. Because had Mookie hit just a weak ground ball, Barrett was way out of position because they had a good chance to get knight at second base. Can you believe this ball game at Shea? Oh, brother. Woo. 
So the winning run is at second base with two out, three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first, behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to game six of the 1986 World Series. The Mets are not only alive, they are well, and they will play the Red Sox in game seven tomorrow. So just once more, here is the recap of one of baseball's most famous moments. Mets batter Mookie Wilson hit a lazy ground ball directly at Bill Buckner, the Red Sox first baseman. Buckner was a very decorated baseball player. In several categories, his stats were the highest in the majors for more than one season. He won the National League batting title, he was named an All-Star, and for 18 seasons in the majors, he was considered a formidable player. A maneuver like fielding a ground ball was ABC. But on this one time, Buckner missed the ball and went right through his legs. Forever after, only this this one thing is remembered about Buckner, and that's his error. As a matter of fact, in Boston there's a bridge whose official name is the Bunker Hill Bridge, but as cars pass through its Y-shaped legs, the bridge, since 1986, has been renowned or known as the Bill Buckner Bridge. It's terribly unfair that Billy Buck, as he was known, who was truly a great player, has this one legacy, that of his error. But such is life. The failure to take advantage of an opportunity will frame you for the rest of your life. When a couple is about to get engaged, they are understandably nervous and apprehensive over this enormous decision that they must make that will profoundly impact the rest of their lives. There are some, plagued with doubts or simply the jitters, who are unable to commit and make a decision. I always remind them that not committing to engage is also a decision with no fewer consequences. So as so often happens, we have run a little bit of field, but the lesson is worthwhile, for success in life is all about taking advantage of opportunities, and failure is often governed by opportunities lost. It staggers the mind to wonder what would have happened had Lloyd George's advice been heeded and masses of Jews would have come to Israel after the Balfour Declaration and established a state. The Holocaust as we know it could have seemingly been averted and Israel's initial years of bloodshed would have also played out very differently. Of course, of course, of course. These are matters that we cannot know or ever divine. The will of the Lord is always concealed, but let's always be on guard not to miss opportunities in our personal and in our communal lives. In early 1918, Allenby's army had liberated Jerusalem, but the war in Europe, meaning of course World War I, was still in the balance. David Ben-Gurion and Yitzchak Ben-Svi, the two Bens as they were known, Yitzchak Ben-Svi will become Israel's president, Israel's second president, went to America on a recruiting drive for the Jewish Legion. The two Bens would become the leaders of the state 40 years later, and they were members and prototypes of the second Aliyah. Their fiery idealism and their unlimited capacity for work and sacrifice was matched 
with a contempt for the Jewish past and a vitriolic hatred for the lifestyle of the diaspora Jew. One person who responded to their recruitment appeal in America was a Jew from Russia living in Milwaukee named Goldie Mabovich. Later, she would become Golda Meir. She volunteered for the Jewish Legion and was crushed when girls were not accepted. It would be 50 years later then, then as Prime Minister and a guest of the White House, she would say to President Nixon, I am privileged, Mr. President, to convey to you the best wishes from the President, the government, and the people of Israel, together with their deep appreciation for your invitation to me and for your interest in our welfare and progress. From Jerusalem, the city of prophecy and universal aspiration, I bring you the traditional Hebrew greeting, Shalom. Another Russian-born Jew living in America at the time was Nehemia Rubitsov, and he enlisted as a private in the British Army. Four years later, after reaching Palestine, Nehemia Rubitsov's son, the last name has been Hebraized, and his son is called Yitzchak Rabin. Four years later, Yitzhak Rabin is born. Arab attacks continue on the northern settlements, and Joseph Trumpeldor, the one-armed veteran of the Russo-Japanese War and the Gallipoli campaign, was asked to organize a defense. Joseph Trumpeldor was a handsome six-footer who had originally trained to be a dentist. As a volunteer officer in the Russian army, he had lost an arm, and he was decorated for his heroism. Russia did not decorate too many Jewish officers, but he was one that was decorated in the Russo-Japanese War. In Israel, he worked on a kibbutz in the Galilee. He was one of those deported by the Turks after World War I began. Right away after being deported to Egypt, Trumpeldor immediately made his way to Alexandria, where he volunteered for the British Army, and there he met Jabotinsky, and the two collaborated to recruit a Jewish legion. Trumpeldor didn't mind what function he would fulfill in the British Army as long as the enemy were the Turks. Some 500 Jews were enlisted in the Zion Mule Corps, quite a colorful name, and allowed to wear their own shoulder flashes bearing the Star of David. The effective leader of the Corps was Trumpeldor, and he was commissioned as a captain in the British Army. The men performed very well under very heavy fire, and they suffered losses. The news of the unit's successes spread, and for the Jews in Palestine, these reports were a source of grave concern. For fear that the Turks may retaliate against the Jews of the settlement, for there is now a Jewish legion of Jews from Palestine fighting with the British against the Turks. So the Jews were really scared, the Jews in Palestine. So what did they do? To forestall this fear, the Jews of Israel marched to the streets of Jerusalem and Jaffa, shouting their contempt for, quote-unquote, the traitors of their fellow countrymen in the Zion Mule Corps. Very often, Whatever the Zionists did concerning Turkey meant subterfuge to conceal their true intent. On March 1st, 1920, a large number of armed Bedouin attacked, and Trumpeldor was shot, and before dying he said words that have become an Israeli mantra of bravery and patriotism, Tov Lamut Ba'ad Artsenu. It's good to die for one's land. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past 
in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Tele products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Tele from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com.